decision-making. Seems like a mundane thought, doesn't it? But it might just be one of the most important things to think about. Researchers tell us that we make about 35,000 decisions per day. Isn't that crazy? But what if every decision we make is an opportunity to experience more of God? Welcome to This Divine Moment, a podcast where we learn to notice and respond to the work that God is already doing in each of our lives. In today's episode, we talk about decision-making and how every decision can be an opportunity to experience a divine moment. Well, hey everyone, welcome to this divine moment. I am so glad that you are joining me for another episode. And if you don't know me, my name is Ben Cornick and I am your host. Uh, I am a husband, I am a father, I'm a pastor, I'm a speaker, and I'm also sometimes a very indecisive person. Are, are you ever like that? Like sometimes I'm the kind of person that I'll be standing at a store in front of like toothpaste and I just can't decide which one to get. Like I'm looking at the prices and then I'm comparing uh, the price per ounce and I'm thinking, okay, well, which brand is better? So then I have to start doing some research and then I'm not sure which one to get. And so it's almost like analysis by paralysis uh, or paralysis by analysis, I mean, um, where I'm just like, I don't even know which one to get now. And so sometimes I won't even get something. I'll go, well, you know, I'll just go get it later, uh, even though I'm already at the store. <laughs> and then sometimes I'll do the opposite to try to avoid this whole c- scenario. Um, I'll just grab and go. I'll just look at something, go, I don't even know what price it is. I don't know. Um, you know, I'm not talking about like, you know, uh, a snowblower. I'm talking about toothpaste or crackers or something like that. So I'll just grab something, throw it in the cart and keep moving. But then sometimes I regret it later because I realize, oh, that's actually not the thing I wanted. But in the moment, I just didn't want to have to uh, think about the decision. Do you ever get like this? Uh, as I said at the top of the episode, um, we on average make about 35,000 decisions per day. Now this can include things like I'm going to walk down this pathway and not that pathway. I'm going to drive uh, in this lane and not that lane. I'm going to drink something right now. I mean, it's, it's all these little micro decisions we make. And there's actually some researchers that over the last few years, they've come up with a term for when we get sick of making decisions. It's called decision fatigue. Uh, My wife actually makes fun of me about this uh, whenever I bring it up because she's like, oh, no, do you have decision fatigue? (laughs) And it's because sometimes, though, literally, I've had a day filled with so many decisions. And then, you know, I'll come home and she'll say, hey, do you want to do this or that? And I'm like, you you literally have to decide. I can't decide anything else. And uh, it's because of decision fatigue. Uh, It's a real thing. And all it means is that you get so tired of making decisions that you don't want to make decisions anymore. And then here's, here's, the, here's the reason this matters. This can lead to bad decision making. So you can make a bad decision because you are so tired of making decisions. And this is where you go, I'm hungry. I know I probably should go home and make a salad, but you know what? Uh, I can see... Uh, 
fast food place right there. I'm going to run through the drive through and, you know, maybe I'll get a salad or something. And then you wind up doing what you probably normally would do. Uh, and you get a, uh, whatever meal you normally get. And uh, there's a guy named Seneca, and he said that we don't rise to the level of our expectation. We fall to the level of our training. So whatever we've trained ourselves to do is what we're going to usually do if we don't have the willpower to make a different decision. Now, there's a pastor named Erwin McManus, and he actually at one point said that the most spiritual thing you can do is make a decision. Because he says before you can ever pray, before you can ever read the Bible, before you can go to church, you have to choose to do it. Now, I'm not sure if I can fully roll with that on a theological level because uh, I think there are some things that we can't fully choose to do. And the most spiritual thing we can do is probably just to rest in the Lord. But at the same time, I guess you have to choose to rest in the Lord. So he might have a point. I think it makes sense to a degree. And what this means is this is really, really important. I mean, we we look at making decisions as such a mundane thing. Like, yeah, it's just a, you know, it's like paying, it's like taxes or paying bills. Like it's, it's nothing exciting. You just have to make a decision. Um, some people avoid decision making. Some people, they make decisions quickly so that they don't have to keep thinking about it. Um, some people procrastinate. I, I mean, you know, whatever it is, like we, I don't think we think of decision making as this really exciting thing. Uh, sometimes it can be, but most of the time it's pretty mundane. But I want you to think about this. Why does God let us decide at all? And I'm not asking the question of what's the benefit of giving us the freedom of choice? Like, why did, why did God want to do that for us? I'm more asking, why not just force us to do what is right? I mean, couldn't all of the mess in the world have been avoided if Adam and Eve couldn't uh, have had the choice of either eating the fruit or not? What if they were just forced to do what was right? We, we would have avoided everything bad that's been happening in the world for the last few thousand years. And here's why. A loving God wouldn't force us to choose his ways. See, God, he's a loving God, but the Bible also tells us in the book of 1 John, he is love. So God can't help but be love. Like, he's the definition of love. If we think we know what love is, and then we look at the Bible and we say, wow, it seems like that's really unloving of God to do this thing. Well, then we don't understand love because God is love and he's the definition of love. And so whatever he does is the definition of love. And if we can't see it that way, it's not because his view of love is warped. It's because of our view of love is the one that is warped. And... So God, he's not going to force us into things because love demands choice. I mean, true love, a a true sense of love, you have to choose it. And of course, it can come out of a place of things that you don't fully feel like you can have control over at times. You know, you, you see somebody and you just go, this is someone I'm attracted to. You spend time with them and you begin to fall in love with them. But I'll tell you this. As a married person, 
um, I fell in love with my wife. And I am still very much in love with my wife. But what I've learned is that love is a decision. It's a daily decision. Because when the warm fuzzies are gone, and you don't always have that to fall back on, there's moments where you don't want to love the other person, but you choose to anyways. And so that's why God gives us the ability to choose because he doesn't want half-hearted relationship with us. He wants, uh, he wants our hearts fully invested. He wants us choosing him every single day. That's why Jesus said, deny yourself daily, meaning you've got to deny the way that you want to do it and choose the way that God would have you do it. See, that's what God wants. And so he's not going to force us into it. He wants our full heart. I mean, from, from the garden all the way to the new heavens and the new earth, God makes it clear. He wants our heart and we get to choose his ways or we get to choose our way. But our way does not end up in a good place. The Bible says that there's a way that seems right to us, but in the end, it leads to death. Now, this does open up the conversation of free will versus God's sovereignty. It's quite the debate among many Christians, and it has been for a long time. So let me just take care of that whole debate real quick. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But let me give you a couple of perspectives. See, God gave us free will, but it's not unlimited free will. For example, I cannot choose to become a bird. I cannot choose to be 30 feet tall. I can't even choose to have different genetics. I can alter my appearance. I could get plastic surgery. I could do all sorts of things. But there is so much that has been predetermined for me. I didn't get to choose my name. I didn't get to choose where I was born. I didn't get to choose my parents. I didn't get to choose my appearance. But God does allow us to make certain choices. Certain choices are within our power to make. And chiefly, the ability to either follow his ways or not. Really, most of our choices come down to that simple place of decision. Now, this doesn't limit God's power. See, God sets forth a plan and he will complete it. He chose to give us limited free will, which means it doesn't limit his power or sovereignty because God cannot be diminished by his own will. That's just, that's just foolish thinking. It doesn't even make sense. So we have a God who is so powerful and so loving that he was able to create us and give us this ability to choose him or not. And that doesn't diminish who he is. It actually, ex it actually exemplifies who he is. It amplifies who he is. It helps us to know who he is and his heart. Now, of course, we could get into this way deeper but for this discussion in this conversation, uh, we're going to leave it right there. So here's what this means. Every decision is a possibility for a divine moment, which means you and I have around 35,000 opportunities for divine moments every single day. Now, what about the toothpaste? Is that, um, is that a divine moment? Like, God, should I get the Sensodyne or the Colgate? Uh, probably not, but you never know. 
Uh, there's one time that I was in a library, a public library. I was there to get some books, right? That's why you go to the library. I wanted to rent a couple of books. I was looking for a couple specific ones, and I felt, I felt as if the Holy Spirit might be telling me to go to a very particular area of the, the library. And I thought, that is just weird. It's just dumb. I don't know why I would go there right now. I was already over there and I didn't see anything that interested me. And I just, I could not ignore it. It felt as if it was God telling me to go to a certain part of the library. Now, some of you are going to go, okay, this guy is insane. I, I was wondering and now for sure, I know he is. But just hang with me for a second because I go to this certain area of the library and, um, and I see this guy and he's just looking at books. And I, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, go talk to him. You know, ask him about his faith. Ask him about his beliefs in God. And I said, no way. First of all, you're not supposed to talk to people at the library, Holy Spirit. Do you not understand the rules? And not only that, but why would, how in the world am I supposed to open up with that conversation? Hey, what's your name? By the way, what, what, what are your beliefs in God like? You know, I just, it's like, no way. I mean, I literally just said, no, I'm not doing this. So then I went back over to the section of books that I wanted to be in, which was the Christian book section. Um, and here I am telling the Holy Spirit how I'm going to do things. And then I'm like, all right, Holy Spirit, now leave me alone while I go find books on how to follow you better. Um, and then <laughs> this guy comes into the Christian book section and pulls a Bible off a shelf. And I'm like, okay. So I put the book that I had back on the shelf and I walked over to him and I said, Hey, uh, what are you reading there? And he said, Oh, it's the, the Holy Bible. And I said, Oh, uh, are you, are you a Christian? Are you... He goes, no, I'm not really sure. I'm kind of interested to find out more. And I, I've just been trying to learn about it. And then he looked at me and said, can you help me like understand what it means to be a Christian? <laughs> and I was a teenager at the time, but I said, well, I can try. I said, yeah, you know, I would love to do that with you. Actually, what's kind of weird is I felt like I was supposed to talk to you about this today. And he goes, oh, that's really great because I prayed that uh, maybe somebody would come along to show me what it means to be a Christian. <laughs> I was like, what? So then I go, okay, well, where do you live? You know, like maybe we could try to get together. The guy lived on my block. Like my family had just moved into a house and he lived a few houses down our block. And I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. And so I said, well, hey, come over to my house later today and let's start meeting. And he wound up giving his life to Christ and it was this incredible, powerful thing. And he just developed this incredible prayer life. And so you never know when a literal mundane decision, like where am I going to go to look for a library book today? Like what, sec what section am I going to be in? You never know how that could become a very, very divine moment. See, what we have to think about is a good decision versus a God decision. So I, so today I'm not really going to focus on good decisions versus bad decisions. Like the kind of plain, uh, simple, like, hey, should I get drunk this weekend or not? Ah, yeah, I would choose not. Um, 
Should I embezzle money from the company or not? Yeah, probably don't do that. Um, so those are the kind of decisions. I'm not talking about that today. Today I'm saying, how do you know whether you should go to this college or that college? You get accepted by two colleges. Where are you supposed to go? Uh, how about jobs? You, you, am I supposed to do this job or that job? What about dating? Uh, here's two people that I like very much. Uh, which one should I pursue? Because if I pursue the wrong one, well, then maybe uh, this other person, I kind of let them go. And then th- they start dating someone else and they get married. And now I've missed that, that opportunity. Or moving somewhere. Should I go to this city or that city? How are you even supposed to know? And so I want to give you some filters for making good, uh, uh, good decisions, but also God decisions. And what to do when you do make a bad decision. So how do, how do we handle it when we do realize, hey, I've made a bad decision? And then I want to teach you a method to open up room in your life to meet God every time you feel the need to seek his wisdom for a decision. But before we jump into that, I want to go ahead and take a quick break, and then we'll come back and jump into that in just a few moments. Well, hey, I want to let you know about something that's been on my heart for the last few days. Um, Whenever I stop the podcast to tell you about something, uh, it's going to be something that I feel like is really important. You're never going to hear a sponsored ad on this podcast. And so when I stop the podcast, I just want to share something with you. And today I want to talk to you about this pattern in the Bible that I've been noticing lately, that the more people are praying, the more that God things seem to be happening. So the more that people of God pray and really take time to pray, it seems like God is able to do more in our lives. And it it sort of makes sense. And I look around the world right now, and I believe that we need some God things to be happening. I look at what's happening in Afghanistan. I look at what's happening in Haiti. And I look at what's happening in our own country. And I want to call you to prayer. I don't have a resource for you today. I don't have a conference to suggest to you. I just straight up want to call you to prayer. See, I want I want you to be praying, uh, not just for our country. Uh, and I do want you to be praying for our country. But I want you to be praying for the church. I want you to be praying for reform and purity to take place in the church. That we would be a people that wants to return back to a just a biblical doctrine that we don't want to look at the wisdom of people, that we want to understand the wisdom of God. Pray for true witness, that we would be able to rise up as Christians in the culture around us and that we would be truly counter-cultural. I want you to pray for revival in the land. See, if we can know that we have healthy churches, then if revival happens in the land, then we have, pe- we have places for these people to be discipled. Look, I believe that this moment we're in, this cultural, historical moment we're in right now is actually a divine moment, a moment when we can really partner with what God is doing, to partner with him in his work. So I'm asking you to dedicate time every day to pray. It could be five minutes. It could be 55 minutes. You could do that alone or you could do that with other people, but pray, pray for the nations. Pray for our leaders, even the leaders that you don't like, pray for them. 
Just today, I prayed for some political leaders that I've been really frustrated with lately, but I prayed that God would guide them, that he would use them uh, to his purposes. So pray for leaders, pray for the church, pray for the church to rise up and be the church that God is calling us to be. Pray for those who need the hope of Christ and need a gospel witness to understand God's love and what he has for them. Pray for those who are hurting. Pray for those who are being persecuted, especially those in Afghanistan right now. Christians who are being persecuted by the Taliban. And let's pray. Let's pray and believe that we will see God at work. See, the whole, the whole purpose of this podcast is to remind us that God is already at work. We just have to notice it and respond to it and participate in it. So let's pray for that. And let's believe that this, this dark moment in history that we're in truly could be one of the greatest divine moments that any generation has ever experienced. Now, let's get back to the show. Well, welcome back to the show. Thanks for taking that quick break with me. And uh, now I want us to get into this idea of how we can make these God decisions, how these decisions can become divine moments. And I'm going to use moving and taking a new job as as a scenario, Uh, mostly because I've done that a few times and really had to seek the Lord for that. And so what I want to do is actually share a few incredible scriptures with you and then uh, just continue to move through this scenario. So let's say you've got a pretty good job somewhere and you're living in a good place um, and then you decide that you uh, are just maybe feeling as if it's time to move on and uh, someone calls you up or you see a job opportunity and you feel like I might need to take that. And let's say you get offered the job, and then at the same time, uh, your current company offers you a big raise and says, hey, we'd like to kind of increase some of the abilities of what you have to do here. And now you're in sort of a dilemma. Okay, should I move to this other city and take this other incredible opportunity, or should I stay here and just continue to grow in what I'm already doing? And so let me take you through a few scriptures that I think help us when we have to make these kind of decisions. And these can serve as filters for us to be able to figure this out. So first, in Proverbs 16.3, it says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. It's an interesting verse. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he'll establish your plans. So what would happen if you made his plan your plan? It kind of feels like a loophole, right? Like, oh, okay, well, if you want to really make good decisions, just do whatever God would have you do. But what really, what this is really about is it's kind of giving up ownership of the ability to make all the decisions for yourself. It's a moment where you humble yourself before God and you say, hey, God, I'm going to commit this to you. Uh, It says in Revelation, he opens up the doors nobody else can open and he closes the doors that nobody else can close. And so I say, okay, God, I'm going to give this over to you. I'm going to commit my way to you and I'm going to commit what I'm doing to you and I'm going to ask you to establish uh, my plans. And that's, it's not me saying, so God, you better bless what I want to do. It's actually the opposite of that. It's saying, God, I've got to do something. I've got to start moving forward. And I'm asking that you establish 
these plans in my life. Like I, I want, I want your ownership over this. So let you be the one who establishes this, not me. So I'm going to commit this to you and I'm going to ask that you do the establishing. And so it's, it's almost like, uh, we say, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to move forward. Um, but I'm, I'm going to just trust that you're going to lay down the path as we go. And, and it actually leads me to the next verse, which is an incredible verse. Proverbs 16, verse 9. So same chapter of Proverbs, a few verses later. It says, In their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. So it's as if we're moving forward and God is just throwing bricks down on the path in front of us. And so sometimes all of a sudden we're moving to the left. Sometimes we're all of a sudden moving to the right, but we're just trying to stay in step with the spirit as the apostle Paul told the Galatians to do. So what this means is that God already has a plan and he wants you to go the places that he wants you to go. And he wants you to do the things that he wants you to do. But here's the thing. He still wants you to make plans. It says, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. It doesn't say it was evil that people planned their own way. It just says this is what we do. So again, it goes back all the way to the fact that God gives us the ability to choose. He wants us to make plans. But what, he, what he's hoping is that we invite him into the process. That we say, God, would you help me figure this out? In the book of James, it says that God will give us wisdom generously. And so we can say, God, would you give me the wisdom? Would you help me figure this out? But what this does for me is it actually gives me a lot of peace and assurance. And it also tells me that God is trying to mature me. That's why he gives me the ability to make choices. That's why he says, go ahead and make the plan. Because he's trying to teach me to be more and more like him. It says in the word that he wants to conform us into the image of his son. So he's maturing me. And sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I get it wrong. But it also gives me a sense of going, you know what? Sometimes I can, I can get it wrong. And that doesn't mean I'm going to miss the path. Now we'll come back to that idea of what do we do when um, we are trying to or, you know, trying to come back from making a bad decision. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But um, then in Proverbs 24, 6, it says this, Surely you need guidance to wage war, and victory is won through many advisors. So what this tells me is that if you really want to succeed in what you're doing, you've got to commit your way to the Lord. You've got to trust that he's going to establish your steps, but you also need advice. Now, I'm not talking about going to some message board online or throwing something up on Facebook and saying, can people give me advice? It's not like that's necessarily evil or something, but uh, essentially what I'm saying is that what you really want to do is say, um, let me find some godly people, some really wise people that I know make the, the kind of decisions that I want to make. And I'm going to go ask them. I want them to be my advisors, almost like a, a personal board of uh, advisors. I, I'm going to assemble some people around me that can really help me figure these things out. Um, but not only that, you can read uh, from really wise people and not just people who are living right now, but people who 
were alive hundreds of years ago. You can go read their stuff. It's incredible. Like, um, I, I like to call it, and I didn't make this up, somebody else did. Uh, it's like sitting with the old dead guys. Like, could you imagine just sitting at a table with some of these incredible minds from history? Some of these great men and women and just sitting at a table with them and be like, what would you do right now? Well, guess what? Some of them have written it down and left it for uh, future generations to understand what it means to be able to make those decisions. So get their advice. Read the Bible. Get the advice of God himself. You need many advisors. The Bible also tells us the Holy Spirit will be our guide and our counselor. So you can pray and he's going to give you that advice. Um, But assemble people around yourself who you can trust to give you good advice um, and try not to make big decisions without doing that because sometimes you think what you're doing makes the most sense. And if, if you could only have one person who looks at you and says, that doesn't make sense, um, it could save you from a world of hurt. Trust me. There's been times that I did not listen to the advice given to me by people. And I wish that I had. Um, we also though, Uh, Not only should we trust that God has plans for us, meaning, you know, like he already does have a plan for each and every one of us, but he also gives us grace, meaning we don't always have to get it perfect. And and I know this because I can read it in Ephesians chapter two. This is the verses I'm about to share are some of the most important verses in salvation theology. Um, meaning how we understand the relationship between our salvation and who God is. But not only that, um, but then there's a few verses that come after these ones that I think most people don't realize that these verses all go together. So it's in Ephesians 2, chapter 8, and it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Man, most of us have probably heard those verses before, right? It's by grace we've been saved through faith. So grace is, it's the gift of God. It's it's him just uh, lavishing his love and his, his, uh, his mercy upon us. It's giving us way better than we ever deserve. And it says through faith, meaning that you, you cannot um, get it scientifically proven to you before you have to decide whether you're going to trust God or not. Um, it's, like, it's like hearing a voice. Uh, if Say you've got to jump off a cliff because there's a fire uh, burning behind you. And there's a voice down in the mist that says, jump, I'll catch you. At a certain point, you just have to, in faith, say, this, whoever this voice is says they're going to catch me, so I'm going to jump. So that's what faith is. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Again, grace is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, meaning we can't earn it ourselves. The, the only reason that we have salvation, the only reason that we can uh, be people who can look forward to heaven, look forward to the new heavens and the new earth, is because Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine. Then he rose from the grave three days later, and he established his church. Then he said he was going to go and uh, prepare a place for us, and he was going to send the Holy Spirit. And then uh, he, the church was born, Jesus went into the heavens, and the Holy Spirit came. And uh, now we're in this season of waiting for him to return. 
And so that, that's the only reason that we have this, this gift of salvation. But do you know what the next verses say? So it says, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love this. He says, we're not saved by works, but we're saved to do good works. Because Christ Jesus has good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. This means that there are things that God wants you to do that he's not asking anyone else to do. He's asking you to do them. He sees you as his masterpiece, as his handiwork. He created you and he wants you to receive his gift of grace in your life so that you can become the person he's called you to be, that he's created you to be, and do the things that he's created you to do. And so essentially this is the story of um, you know, there's, there's a, a, a forgotten tool in this tool shed that doesn't understand its purpose anymore. And then uh, the tool maker comes along to remind it what it's for. Now, I don't want to say that you and I are tools, um, but in a sense, we have a purpose. And imagine if you were trying to uh, force a screwdriver to be a fork. I mean, it just doesn't make sense, right? And so God has things that he's prepared for us to do, but he, he's given us his grace. So this means that we've got room to grow. We've got room to learn. God knows that we don't have it all figured out yet. That's why he gives us his grace. That's what grace is for. Now, I have a friend named Nate, and uh, recently I was talking with him. And for a long time, I really believed uh, this idea that good is the enemy of great. Meaning that sometimes, uh, so if we go back to this example of, okay, I, I want to either take this job or that job. All right, theologically, now I understand that God has a plan for me. I've got to commit my way to him. Um, but still, how am I practically supposed to make this decision? And uh, my friend Nate said, you know, that whole idea of how we good is the enemy of great, meaning if I go for the good thing, I might miss the great thing. And then he said, um, sometimes I think great is the enemy of good. And sometimes I think we need to sacrifice what is great so that we can obtain what is good. And I just said, Nate, that is so wise. That's so true. Because think of it this way. Let's look at the job situation and say one of the jobs just has an amazing salary and that seems great. And the, 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 the organization has an incredible reputation. That's another great thing. But what if, what if the thing that you are doing currently at the job you're already at, what if that thing is a really good thing? What if it's a really good thing? Because God wants his goodness to fill the earth. So what if that thing is actually helping bring glory to God and you might sacrifice what is good so that you can go do what is great? You know, there's, a, there's this passage in the Bible that talks about how we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't uh, try to uh, think of ourselves as someone who needs to do great things or we shouldn't plan great things for ourselves. But instead, we should humble ourselves before the Lord and then what happens is he brings about what is good. So be careful to, as Americans, we are so 
um, molded into thinking, I've got to go for whatever is the greatest thing. So whatever is going to make the most money, impact the most people, uh, give me the most influence, whatever it is. Um, and sometimes that's not the right way to go. Um, so let, let me give you an example. Uh, the, the job that I'm in right now, I am a teaching pastor at a church called Christ the Rock Community Church. Um, we're in Wisconsin, and um, I'm originally from Wisconsin. So coming back home was kind of a cool thing. But uh, before I came here, I was at a very large church in the Chicago area. And this church had, uh, at the time, it had eight locations. Now it has, I believe, 11 locations. Um, so they're growing like gangbusters. Um, the position I had was a really good position. Uh, I was getting paid decently. Um, you know, pastors usually don't make a ton of money, but um, I was getting paid decently and I was uh, really enjoying a lot of the influence that I had and it was honestly great. But then one day I literally felt as if my time there was coming to an end and I prayed about it and I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to look for a teaching pastor position in Wisconsin. Again, don't ignore the, the things that might be a divine moment just because you think it's crazy. Um, because that's a really specific thing to hear from the Holy Spirit. I typed it into Google. Uh, I put te hiring teaching pastor Wisconsin and this church, Christ the Rock, came up. And uh, my wife and I actually know people uh, who've been attending the church for a very long time. They're actually related to my wife. And so I was like, okay, this is crazy. And um, I started to look into it. And this church, uh, the church that I'm a part of now, um, they went through a really hard season where their senior pastor actually took his own life. And it was a really devastating time for the whole church. Um, and I mean, honestly, we, we can't really understand all the reasons why he, he chose to do that. Um, but what I do know at the time is that he was really struggling, but he also wasn't in his normal state of mind. Um, there's a lot of things that he'd been doing in that season that just didn't fully make sense. And so there's, uh, there's all sorts of reasons that people have tried to point to to say maybe this is why he did it. At the end of the day, we don't really know. But what we do know is that the church was hurting for a good couple years after this. And that's when I entered this uh, interview process. And one day I felt like God said, Ben, these are like people, these are sheep without a shepherd. Because truly they had lost their pastor. And I said, well, God, I don't know that I'm the, the best solution to this problem. But if I can help in any way, uh, that sounds like a good thing. So the great thing would have been to stay in this massive church that was doing all these incredible, awesome, great things. And uh, sometimes I look back and I go, man, I sort of wish I was still a part of that at times because there's things I miss about what we were doing in Chicago. But I know that what we chose was good. And I can see the fruit of it on a daily basis, both in my life and in the ministries of the church, especially the teaching ministry, which is what I oversee. And so sometimes we have to sacrifice what is great for what is good. Now, when in doubt, you have to do what honors God. You have to, I mean, I felt like God said, go look for a teaching pastor position. <laughs> and um, so I, I had to honor that and go, I, God, I think this is what you're calling me to do. Choose family. 
You know, I was reading this book, uh, The Second Mountain by David Brooks, and he talked about how we've sort of lost some of the old virtues that uh, used to be so a part of society. Um, uh, for the sake of mobility, for the sake of being able to do whatever we want and get bigger and better jobs or go to college wherever we want, we've sort of sacrificed um, some of the old virtues that we used to choose on a regular basis, like family. Like uh, moving back to Wisconsin was a good thing for my wife and myself and my boys because we're back by family and we're back by old friends that we have known for many, many years. And uh, it's actually been a really good thing. It kind of brings us back to uh, the soil in a sense. And um, so sometimes when in doubt, just go, well, what would it look like for me to be more faithful to family and friends and community? Like where, where do I have community that I need to be faithful to? Um, sometimes it's good to choose uh, like things like your hometown, your alma mater, your country, um, your, your home church. I, I mean, the, and I know for some people they're going, oh, rolling their eyes, right? Like, no, I'm not going to choose my alma mater. Um, but what if, what if you could go back to a place that helped form you and shape you and be a part of its future? be a part of shaping and molding other people, you know, and and I'm literally saying like, what if you could move back to your hometown and then you could volunteer at your high school or your college or your elementary school and your kids go to the school that you went to? I mean, I know that this isn't the right thing for everybody, but when in doubt, you should think about these things because sometimes we could get to the end of our lives and go, man, I, all I picked was bigger and better salaries, bigger and better positions, bigger and better houses, bigger and better cities, and I missed all of the substance of life. So here's a question you can ask yourself. So let, let me start uh, giving you some filters. Um, well, and then right after that, I want to tell you what do you do when you make bad decisions, right? Um, but here's another question you can ask yourself. 10 years from now, will you regret this or will you be thankful for it? Now, of course, you can't always know this, right? We're not future tellers, but think about this. Um, Sometimes that question brings things into clarity because if you go, okay, 10 years from now, I'll regret that I didn't take this chance. Like that, that might be the thought that comes to your mind. And then it just becomes clear. Okay, I just, I have to take the chance. I might fail miserably, but I would rather fail, fail at doing something that I really want to do than succeed at doing something that I don't really want to do. Or, uh, you know, and so again, I'm trying to relate this to jobs and moving, but I mean, think about, uh, you know, trying to date somebody. Being like, yeah, it might be really awkward if I ask this person out and then it changes the nature of our relationship. But, you know, honestly, like... Uh, are you, is this a person you're really going to be friends with if you don't wind up dating them and you wind up dating someone else and marrying them? Are you going to say, yeah, honey, I really love you and I love our marriage, but I still want to stay in contact with this random girl that uh, I tried to date back in college or high school. <laughs> so it's like, I think sometimes we have to think 10 years from now and say, will I, will I regret if I didn't take this chance? Um, so 
10 years or even five years from now, if 10 years feels too long, two years from now, one year from now, will you regret this or will you be thankful that you took a shot, that you tried to do this thing? But what happens when you do make the bad decision? What happens when you go, okay, um, that was a bad decision. I, I think I made the wrong decision. It didn't work out very well. Well, sometimes um, if you need to, repent. If you know that God was telling you to do something, if everyone in your life was saying, do this, like all the godly people that you asked and then you just didn't listen to anyone's advice, then you probably need to repent. And the Bible says that when we repent, which means to turn away, so we turn away from our sin, we turn away from the bad decision, um, that times of refreshing will come from the Lord. So God will actually refresh your spirit when you repent. And then you got to move forward. In Philippians 3.13, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Meaning that he's like, I know that there's still things ahead for me. But here's something that I do. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. So you don't, you don't always have to dwell on the bad decision. Like move forward towards what is ahead because God always has a plan. He's, he's still trying to move you in the direction that he wants you to go. So what you have to do is learn from this. This is, this is one of the biggest divine moments when you fail. It's one of the biggest divine moments that you can find in life. Read through the pages of scripture and you will see so many times when God meets people in their mess up, when he meets them in their mistake, and then he shows them the way. I think that sometimes it's the humility of admitting that we were wrong um, that finally opens us up to doing things God's way. Sometimes we have to uh, lose something before we realize, you know what, God, maybe I was not really paying attention to your wisdom. Maybe I need to humble myself and think of a different way to do this. Now, um, I want to give you a methodology uh, to be able to seek God when you have to make a decision. So I told you about that, the, the job where I, I took this job as a teaching pastor. I, and at a certain point, I had to start praying because I talked to my senior pastor in Chicago and he was like, look, that sounds like a cool opportunity, but I'm going to need to know, like, are you going to stay here or are you going to go there? And so I just, I started praying and um, I want to tell you a few things that I've learned about seasons of prayer and making decisions. Uh, first thing is Matthew 6.33. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you as well. So, and this comes on the heels of Jesus talking about, like, don't worry about your food. Don't worry about uh, the clothes you wear. Don't worry about where you're going to live. Uh, don't, don't worry about your life. God's going to take care of you. And so he says, so if you want to see everything work out in your life, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. So seek God first. Seek him first in the year. So I, I try to follow a pattern of every year when I make my New Year's resolutions, I'm not like, okay, I wanna floss this year. I'm, I'm like, God, I wanna, I wanna know you better this year. And so I usually start the year with some kind of a season of more intentional Bible reading and prayer, uh, fasting, things like that. Um, and then make God the first in your week. Sunday's the first day of the week on a calendar. 
go to church. Like be present in church. I know some people are doing online church right now and that's, that's cool too. Um, and, and I'm, our church is doing online church. So I'm so thankful that we can do that. But I, I know that there's something different about gathering physically with other people and being in their presence and worshiping together and praying together and uh, listening to God's word together and then serving together. So Sundays are a great day for that. It's a day that you can set aside and say, God, I want this day to be way more intentionally about you. And then, but then have every day, the first in your day be about God. So the first few minutes of your day, maybe even it could be a whole hour. Take time to pray, read the scriptures, even, I don't know what your schedule's like, but it could literally be waking up and first thing, just saying, God, I don't know what's going to happen today, but I know you do. And so I'm going to put my trust and my faith and my hope in you. I'm going to deny myself. I want to take up my cross and follow you today. God, help me to do your will. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you fill me and guide me and lead me so that I can know which way to go? Give me the words to say. Give me the thoughts to think. In Christ, may I be more like you today. And in every decision, literally, uh, Brother Lawrence uh, wrote this book called Practicing the Presence of God. And in it, he talks about how we can... um, Every moment of the day, we can experience God's fullness. We can experience who he is. And so you could literally, like, sometimes we only have 30 seconds to make a decision. Sometimes we have less time than that. In that moment, you can pray. And I've had moments where I've prayed in the moment, and God has given me the wisdom that I need right then and there. So uh, seek him first for every decision. So this is about laying out those priorities. Then listen. Listen. Listen to God. Listen to what he's saying. Listen to what he's doing. Listen to what other people are telling you. Listen to uh, the songs that uh, you hear and all of a sudden a certain lyric pops out to you. Write it down. And that's the next thing. Journal. Keep a journal either on your phone or a physical paper journal. Uh, Bring it with you. Figure out a way to carry some kind of a journal with you. And when something feels like, ah, that might be direction from God, write it down and especially verses. So read your Bible. And when certain verses seem to stick out, like that might be an answer to prayer, write it down. Because then after a a few entries in your journal, you're going to start to see some patterns and you're going to go, I think God is speaking. Um, And then start to present this to that, that board of personal advisors, those people that you trust, talk to friends and family and Uh, pastors, small group leaders, whoever, talk to them and say, does this sound like this is what God would be saying? And then at a certain point, God is going to give you that peace. So I remember the day when I was praying and I think I was parked in a parking lot. Um, I don't remember where I was, but I just had this moment where I felt the need to stop and pray and say, God, I think I need to make a decision here of whether we're going to try to take this teaching pastor job or not. And it just, all of a sudden I had peace and I felt like God made it really clear to me that this was the next thing for us to do. And I I can't describe it to you any other way. Like in that moment, it was like, uh, someone could have, someone could have told me, Hey, this is the worst decision you could ever make. And I'd say, well, I've already got the peace of God. So I'm going to move forward with this. 
And, uh, and then what you do is you go. Once you have the peace and you know that this feels like what God is doing. Now, if you have a spouse, you want to make sure you and your spouse are on the same page. Um, and, you know, of course, trying to listen to those wise people in your life. But at a certain point, um, this is between you and God. I, as Erwin McManus said, every decision is an opportunity uh, for you to have a divine moment. And so at a certain point, you've just got to decide and go and trust that God has a plan. Trust that he'll direct your steps. So may you find God in the daily decisions. May you realize that he cares so much about your life that he actually cares about every decision that you're making. May you understand that he has a plan for your life, that by his grace, he's chosen you and he wants you to live out his purposes in your life. He has a plan for you. He has things that he's created for you to do that nobody else is called to do but you. And may you rest in the, in the power and in the strength of his ability to guide your life, to direct your path. And may you find the peace of God to be able to move forward in every decision that you make and knowing that his kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, I want to thank you for joining me for this divine moment. It was a little bit of a longer episode today, but uh, these are things that have been building up over the last few weeks. So I'm so glad that I got to share them with you. And uh, just a couple days ago, I got to have a conversation with uh, one of the listeners of the podcast, and she was just telling me how her and her daughter actually listened to this podcast together. And I was so encouraged by that because uh, it's just fun for me to imagine multiple generations in the same household. Um, I never even pictured that when I began this uh, this podcast. And I told her, well, I'm so happy to hear that because I want this podcast to be something that can help people and that it can help whole families. Uh, it's just an incredible thought. And so thank you so much for being a listener of this podcast. I ask that you would share it, uh, that you'd review it, that you'd rate it. Um, and let me know of anything that I can do to serve you better through this podcast, anything that you want me to cover, any questions that you have that you would love to hear addressed on this podcast. Um, find me on social media, hit me up, and uh, let me know ways that this podcast can serve you even more. But thanks again for listening, and I hope that you join me again next week for another episode of This Divine Moment.